Good evening. It is good to see everyone here tonight. Good to be back together on the Lord's Day. The sermon tonight is not going to be very long. It is a very basic sermon, but at the same time, it is a very deep sermon. Tonight, we're going to talk about the Godhead. Who is God? What is the nature of God? In fact, as Sherry and I were driving here tonight, I mentioned to her, I said, sometimes people will say to me, I want to hear a sermon that affects my day-to-day -day life. I want to hear a sermon that means something to me. And a sermon like this might be thought of as merely academic. But I want you to tell me afterwards, I want you to ponder this. Why would understanding who God is help me in my day-to-day -day life? Why would this make me a better Christian? How would this strengthen my faith? And I've been thinking about that since we had the discussion, and I thought the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. I'm introduced to this being in the very first verse of the Bible. I'm told that the greatest commandment is to love God with all my heart, mind, strength, and soul. He's my creator. He's my savior. Everything that exists is because of him. We read a passage tonight from Acts chapter 17 about the Athenians were worshiping the unknown God. They were worshiping, but they did not understand the creator. The lesson tonight is to help us understand who God is, and we're going to talk about this term, the Godhead. The first point tonight is very basic, very fundamental, and it is the fact that there is only one God. Now, the Bible is filled with passages that teach this concept. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Isaiah 45 and verse 5, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6, Paul told the Corinthians, But to us there is but one God. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Jesus Christ. James 2 and verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Very fundamental, there is one God. Many in the world don't believe that. Still, there are those who believe in multiple gods. Several years ago, I went with Jack Honeycutt to India, and there are idols all over India, people who believe in multiple gods, and it's been that way since nearly the beginning. But the Bible teaches there's one God. Secondly, what about the Trinity? Somebody asked me, they said, Don, how come you don't ever talk about the Trinity? We hear people in the religious world use the term Trinity. Have you ever heard that before? The word Trinity, what is that? Trinity is from a prefix, tri, and the word unity. It is tri-unity. It means three in one. It is the three in oneness. The Trinity can be defined this way. God eternally exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, but there is one God. Now, that might be confusing to people because they might say, how can there be three, but there's only one God? How can we say there's one God if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God? But you know, from the very first verse of the Bible, we start being introduced to the concept of the Trinity. 
In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The word for God there in the Hebrew is the word Elohim. What is interesting is it is a plural word. We're told there's one God, and yet a plural word is used to define uh, who God is. This particular word, Elohim, is used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. I think it's very interesting that the book that repeatedly stresses the concept of one God uses a plural word to define God. Well, you keep reading. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the Lord said this, Let us make man after our image, after our likeness. The one God said, let us make man after our image. Genesis 1.1 says that God the Father was involved in the creation. Genesis 1.2 says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters in the creation. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says that everything was made by Jesus Christ. And so all three members of the Godhead are involved in the creation. Now, someone might say, but Don, the word Trinity is not even found in the Bible, but the concept is absolutely found in the Bible. The three members that make up God. The Bible uses the word Godhead. There are three members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the Comforter. Now, there are at least four passages in the New Testament that lay out the concept of the Godhead. I've got all of them on the board here. Acts 17 and 29 from the scripture reading tonight. Paul is on Mars Hill. He's speaking to the Athenians who were people who worshipped idols. He said, being the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven images made by the device of man. Now, the King James says Godhead. The New King James instead uses the term divine nature. I think that's a good translation. The Godhead, the divine nature. I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Colossians 2 and verse 9, speaking about Christ, says, For in Him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What does that mean? When Jesus came to this earth... Everything that it meant to be God was in him. The fullness of the Godhead was in him. Matthew 28 and verse 19, Jesus, speaking to his apostles, when he gave them the Great Commission, said, Go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Godhead are mentioned there. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14 Paul closes the book of 2 Corinthians with these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So here's the question. Is there one or is there three? This concept troubles some people. It confuses people. I've heard people grapple with it. They say, I can't understand that. How can the Bible so emphatically say that there's one God if there's a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all God? Here's the answer. The answer is there is only one deity. There is only one divine nature, if you will. That's why I like that translation in the New King James. There's only one divine nature but there are three persons who possess the divine nature. 
So how can God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all be one, and yet all be separate entities, but there be one God? The word that's translated as one is from a Hebrew word that has the power of an adjective. Listen, it carries with it the idea of being joined together. It carries with it the idea of unity. Let me give you an example of this. This same Hebrew word for one appears in Genesis 2.24 when it describes the man and his wife, and the Bible says they are one flesh. Obviously, they're not one person, but they are said to be one in the sense of unity, one in the sense of union. And likewise, God is a compound unity, not an absolute one. The word God is the name of the divine nature. But there are three persons who possess the divine nature, three persons who comprise the Godhead. All right? Here's the next question. You say, well, Don, we, we believe this. We understand this. Who would have a problem with what you're saying? There are actually quite a few people that would have a problem with what I just stated. Obviously, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a problem with this. The Jehovah's Witnesses hold that the idea that Jesus Christ is God, they say that is blasphemy. They say Jesus Christ was a created being. They say that he is Michael the archangel. And the Holy Spirit, he's just an emanation from the Father. He has no personage at all. The oneness Pentecostals have a problem with this. They teach that there is only one person in the Godhead, and he simply manifests himself in different ways, three different manifestations. But I want you to remember, at the baptism of Jesus, you have all three members of the Godhead present at the same time. You remember Matthew 3, 16 and 17, the Father is speaking, the Son is in bodily form, the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in Him, and the Holy Spirit descends on Him as a dove. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, the Great Commission, Matthew 28 and verse 19, Jesus recognized the triune nature that is, the fact there are three persons in the Godhead, when he commanded the apostles to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, many people, at least some, would argue Jesus is not God. I could do a whole sermon showing that Jesus is God, but let me give you just four verses right now. Number one, Matthew 1.23, at the birth of Jesus... They were told that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And John 20 and verse 28, Thomas. Sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas. We probably do him a disservice. He just wanted proof. But he said to Jesus, when he felt the hole in his hands, he said, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't disagree because he was right. Colossians 2 and verse 9 again, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything it means to be God was present in Jesus Christ. And John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 17 identifies Jesus as the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, others 
would argue that the Holy Spirit is not God. Again, we could do a whole sermon on this. Let me give you just three verses. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is eternal. What that means is He wasn't created. He has always existed. Friends, there's only one being that's eternal, and that is God. That means the Holy Spirit is God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 tells us that the Holy Spirit knows all things. That means He's omniscient. Friends, only God is omniscient. That means the Holy Spirit is God. And to wrap it up neatly, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Peter said to Ananias, remember Ananias and Sapphira? He said to Ananias, when you have lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. He said the Holy Spirit is God. Here's the next point. All three members of the Godhead were involved in the creation of this world. Now, I alluded to this a moment ago, but in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, if we only had the English, we might conclude that that means that God the Father made the heaven and the earth. But again, God, in this verse, is Elohim. The word is plural. So if you keep reading, what you get is the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You keep going. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so the words us and our tell us that God was not alone when he created this earth. This fact is confirmed by the Apostle John. In John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now listen to verse 3. All things were made through him. Who? The Word. And without him, nothing was made that was made. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit was involved in the creation. The Son was involved in the creation. And so, I want to break this down. The, the role of each member of the Godhead in the creation. Number one, God the Father was the designer of the creation. He determined the extent and the order of creation. But what we're going to see is the Son is the one who actually carried it out. And we'll see some more about this as we go through the other roles. But God was the designer. It was His plan. So what was the role of the Son? He was the executor. In other words, He's the one that did it. He carried it out. We just noticed in John chapter 1, all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. What does that mean? It's the Father's plan but it was done through Christ. Same thing, Colossians 1 and verse 16 says, all things were created through Him and for Him. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, but He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, now listen, through whom He also made the world. What does that mean? It's His plan, but He did it through Jesus Christ. He made the world. And so the Father is the designer. Christ is the executor. He is the one that did it. But the Holy Spirit, we might call the, the finisher the completer, the beautifier. After this earth had been created, the Bible says 
that the earth was waste and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. But the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the, the waters, and God said, let there be light, and the work of the Holy Spirit begins. He brings forth light, and he separated the darkness, making day and night. He made the firmament. He divided the waters above the firmament from the waters under the firmament. He caused the dry land to appear. He brought forth grass and herbs and fruit trees. You might say that the Holy Spirit made order out of chaos. He's the finisher. He is the completer. How do I know that? Job said in Job 26 and verse 13, By His Spirit the heavens were garnished. Psalm 104 and verse 30 says, You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. And so in creation, God the Father is the designer. We have Christ the Word is the executor. He carried it out, and the Holy Spirit is the finisher, the beautifier of the things that were created. Here's our last point. In the scheme of redemption, the Godhead, each member of the Godhead, had a particular role in the plan of salvation. Sometimes we say the scheme of redemption. What were their roles? God the Father, again, was the designer. I think one passage sums this up very well. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Friends, this verse implies it was His plan. The scheme of redemption was conceived in the mind of God. It was the purpose of God. It's also interesting in Isaiah 53 and verse 11, it says about God the Father, when He sees the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross, listen to the words, He shall see the travail of His soul, and He shall be satisfied. It implies that it was His plan. God's plan and design was to produce a system whereby man could be justified, forgiven of his sins, and that plan involved a perfect sacrifice being made. What was the role of the Son? The role of Jesus Christ was the executor of the plan. That is, he became the sacrifice that was envisioned in the mind of God. Ephesians 3 and verse 9, speaking about the gospel, says this, which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God, that is, God the Father had this plan. He created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What do you have? From the beginning, God had this wisdom. It's going to be revealed to mankind. How? Through the church. The existence of the church is the wisdom of God. Now listen to verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed, it's the Father's plan, in Christ Jesus. It tells us it was the Father's plan, it was going to come through the church, and it was carried out. It was executed through Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. What does that mean? It was the Father's plan. He executed it. He tasted death for every man. So what was the role of the Holy Spirit in the scheme of redemption? 
This is our last point. I know it's short tonight. The Holy Spirit is the finisher. He's the completer. He's the beautifier in the scheme of redemption, similar to the roles they had in the creation. Now, what do we mean by that? What we mean is this. Even though the Father had a plan to redeem man, even though the Son came and died, He tasted death for every man, He executed the plan, there was still work to be done. And so, before Jesus died, He told His followers in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father that He will send you another Helper, that He will abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. That is, He says, there's another who's coming to tie things up. John 14, 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. In John 16, Christ emphasizes the need that He needs to leave this earth. That is, He needs to go back to heaven. He says, so that the Holy Spirit can come and complete the scheme of redemption. John 16, 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper cannot come. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I still have many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. However, when He the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. And so what does that mean? God the Father had a plan to redeem man. It involved a perfect sacrifice. Jesus came and tasted death for every man. He executed the plan. And then the Holy Spirit came. He came and revealed the truth miraculously. He confirmed it miraculously. He brought all things to their remembrance. He moved men to write the words of the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says that the Scripture did not come by the mind of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit completed the work. He miraculously guided the Bible to be written. They wrote it down. And until it was complete, until they had the Bible... He provided miraculous revelation to guide them through the first century. The work of the Father was the originator. He was the designer of the plan. The work of the Son was the executor of the plan. The work of the Holy Spirit was the finisher of the plan. But the plan did not originate with Him. The plan originated with the Father. The, the, the Son made it whole and the Holy Spirit completed it. When we understand and appreciate God, we understand ourselves better because He's our Creator. We have our all in all in Him. We can't understand anything about our existence, about the sacrifice that was made for us until we understand God. It all begins with Him. Thank you for your good attention tonight. I appreciate it so much. We always extend the Lord's invitation because if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, there is nothing more important for you than to become one, to obey the gospel, to have your sins forgiven. The way a person is added to the church and is washed in the blood of Jesus is by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. Maybe you say, I don't understand what you're saying. I want to have a study. We would be very happy to do that. Maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to obey the gospel. 
We would be delighted to take your confession, immerse you in water for the remission of your sins. Maybe tonight you're a member of the body of Christ, but you desire the prayers of your brethren. We would be very pleased and honored if we could do that. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we invite you to come. Together we stand and sing the invitation song.